Joining me on the line is Father Russell Pollard, who is the director of the Jesuit Institute in Johannesburg. And we're going to be uh, unpacking the presidential race in uh, South Africa, especially with the build-up to the elective conference in December. Father Russell, good afternoon. Welcome. Good afternoon, Father Brian. Thank you. Uh, It's always a pleasure to have you. How have you been? Very good, thank you. Kept going, kept busy, but uh, good. (laughs) You haven't missed much uh, in your time away for the Russell, hey? No, probably not. It seems like it's always the same old, same old, you know? (laughs) It's the same animals in the circus, hey? We're just in different positions. (laughs) Exactly. Father Russell, what do you make of uh, the build-up to the elective conference in December? Now, we have a list of about... Uh, six candidates that has popped up and um, it looks like um, most of them are are representing a certain fraction or certain interest groups am i right by having uh, by 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 putting them in such boxes or labeling that way yeah certainly i mean i think um that would be the case for sure i was at the elective uh, i was at the policy conference of the anc and it was quite clear to me and just from talking to people there that uh, the various candidates that have emerged are representing certain factions or certain interest groups, as you put it, within the ANC. And, uh, you know, um, it's a hotly contested thing as well. I mean, nobody's really coming out straight away saying, you know, this is what I'm going to go all out for. I mean, there are people that are hinting at it. And I was very surprised the other day to see, for example, our dear Speaker of Parliament, Balek Mbete, suggesting that she was ready to be the president of the ANC. Um, I, 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 I did say a prayer that day, but um, you know, I think I think there is this, this sense that there are these various people competing with each other, competing for different interests. And I, I was quite surprised in an interview I did with Father Smagalus from Kachwa to to hear him say, "Well, you know, it's all very well to have these people. He still feels that there's a quality missing, and he's hoping that some other person gets added uh, to the race." Whether some other person will emerge or not is a different story altogether. There is there is something that uh, that has caught my attention, which is the number of women in the race. What do you make mm-hmm. of it? Um, it's interesting. I mean, I think there are very strong uh, women in the ANC at the moment. I mean, I think uh, if one looks around and one thinks of uh, some of the big voices in the ANC at the moment. Um, they are all women, uh, you know, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, you know, those voices are, are, are strident. And if you think of positions and ministries that are held uh, by key people at the moment, a lot of those are, are women. Um, I, you know, I think one could approach this in, very, in, in various different ways. Uh, you know, maybe it is time that the country had a woman president, uh, Are we ready? We need to remember that this is an important electoral conference because whether whether we like it or not, this is going to have a long-term impact on the country because whoever is elected, man or woman, is going to be uh, the president of the, of, of the country if the ANC wins the 2019 vote. Uh, some people are saying that's not going to happen. I don't believe that's true. I think that the ANC will, will have a declining figure, you know, at the polls, but I can't see that the ANC is not going to hold on to power after 2019 unless something really spectacular happens. So it's interesting to see that there are these women in the race. The woman brings something else. 
some of those women are, of course, very close to uh, Jacob Zuma himself. Exactly. Um, and, 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 and in many ways are protecting, uh, you know, his interests. And some people are saying, well, you know, they, are, they, they, they would be able to ensure that whoever comes in after him is not going to try and lock him up or do anything to him. Uh, they would be sort of in his camp. So, yeah, I, you know, I think it's all up for grabs. So I'm going to ask you a very direct question. Are we ready? Mm. Are we ready for a female president in South Africa? I think we're ready for a president who's going to run this country well. Um, I think we're ready for a president who's going to act within the law. I think we're ready for a president who's going to, uh, you know, make sure that uh, corruption is stamped out. I don't, for me, whether that's a man or a woman, is immaterial in many ways. I mean, I think there are a lot more qualities we're looking for in a president at the moment, given how bad things actually are, that, uh, that will be important, and their gender would not be one of, my, one of my priorities on the list. Whether, of course, the rest of the country thinks like that, I really don't know. I mean, if you go to some places in the more rural areas, the fact that a woman... Um, you know, could possibly be president is out of people's sort of range or scope of, of, of thought. But I think in urban areas, more and more people are beginning to say, okay, well, we've had, you know, uh, men in charge for a long time. Uh, in some ways, the world is not getting better by the way men are doing things. Maybe, you know, it's time for a woman to take over. And the one good, successful, uh, you know, person that maybe people are looking towards and saying, look what she's done is Angela Merkel of Germany. Um, then again, we've also got, um, you know, uh, Theresa May in the UK, who seems to be under a lot of political fire, not making such a big deal. Whether we are we ready for a woman president? For me, yes, no. I, I'm not too worried about that. I'm, I would be more concerned about the qualities of the person that, that ensures the country is going to be run well, and we're going to do away with this massive, massive corruption, which is going to bring this country to its knees if it's not dealt with. Dr. Makosikosa has been described as a prophet. Your take? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, she's trying to obviously uh, uh, bring to light many of the things that, uh, uh, you know, have, are being said in, 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 you know, around corners and in dark places. Um, you know, but then again, she's also a politician. And I think one must always be very careful about you know, uh, uh, hanging on to every word that any politician tells you and, and, and believing that it's all truth. I think there needs to be some interrogation of the fact. Mm. The fact that she has been threatened sort of indicates to me that whatever she is saying, there must be a truth that lies in there. Because if you could, if you feel that there's nothing to defend, if you think that, you know, you're clean, uh, if people make accusations, you know, you're not going to react uh, by, threat- by threatening to kill them type of thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we've got to listen to those voices. There's many desperate voices. Some are not saying it out loud as she is. Some are saying it around corners and to people in, in, in dark places or things like the policy conference. They're expressing, you know, their unhappiness with the way things are. Um, uh, she's not. She's, she's chosen to, to, to speak out as of the stalwarts. Uh, you know, the whole Gupta email thing indicates to us that all is not well in paradise. And so I think we should be listening to those voices and we should be testing what they say.
Indeed, indeed. We need to test and not believe all the headlines that we're reading on, um, on the, in the newspapers and in some of the yeah, publications. Yeah, and, and I think that's a very important point that you make there, uh, you know, uh, Brian, because, uh, you know, even, even in terms of, and just stepping out of the political realm, even in terms of some of the news that has been spread about the church or things that people are saying about members of the church, we're living in an age where every headline is not necessarily true. And in actual fact, we're living in an age where we've got something called fake news. That's correct. These people often, uh, you know, grab the headlines with stories that are not accurate. They do a lot of reputational damage. They confuse people. So I think we have to be very careful and we have to, you know, if if we see something, we have to measure it against a number of, of news sources that we know. We have to dig deeper and not just take everything on face value. You're absolutely right there. Okay. Can you paint what the picture is going to be like? Let's try and predict the picture towards December. I think we're going to see more and more uh, uh, factionalism in the ANC. I think um, that, um, you know, we might even see some more bleeding in public. Um, I I think that, uh, you know, slowly a a stronger voice amongst those who are mentioned will emerge. I tend to agree with uh, Father Mkatsha that it would be really nice if if suddenly somebody else comes from the left, uh, and I don't mean policy left, I mean just somebody that we're not expecting comes into that race just to give it a bit of a, a bit of a, a mix-up. Um, but I think the kind of politics we've been seeing in the last six or eight months is going to continue to play out, and I think there's going to be certainly um, a great attempt to discredit uh, President Zoom uh, more than what he is already discredited. I, I suspect that we're going to still see a lot more coming out of the Gupta leaks. Those emails were two were, were, were two hundred, I think, uh, gigabytes of mail. You need to know how much text they're going through to uncover that stuff, and hence every week there's a new story. And I think that those who are opposed to the the Zoomer faction people will certainly try and use things like the Gupta leaks to discredit uh, anybody who may be associated with Zoomer who's in the presidential race. Um, but you know, I think politics has become a very unpredictable thing. So, for example, you know, think back about Brexit, think back about Trump. You know, these are not just international stories, but I think even politics in South Africa has become very unpredictable. And so I think to try and predict in a hard-nosed way, as one would have done maybe five or ten years ago as to the outcome, will be an exceptionally difficult thing to do because uh, we just never know which way the vote will, will sway. Interesting enough, at the policy conference of the ANC, the fact that there were these Gupta leaks, the fact that Zuma had fired Pravin Gordon and it seems it was on a false intelligence account, all those things didn't seem to perturb people. The thing that really got people's backs up, surprisingly, was the remark that Zuma made about the store war. Indeed. And so suddenly something like that changes, uh, you know, perceptions very quickly and it, it, it becomes much more unpredictable. Indeed. The, the, the landscape is very unpredictable. But then how should we be responding as responsible citizens and citizens that are also men and women of faith? Now, give the context of the Catholic faith. How should we be responding to that? You know, I think that the, that the, that the seven uh, pillars of Catholic social teaching are the important thing for us to keep in mind at the moment. Because the problem with us as people of faith is we're not immune to also taking sides, whether it's because... We feel that we have to protect, you know, the organization that we feel loyal to, the ANC, whether it's because I, I'm, I'm from Zulu culture and feel that Zuma's from Zulu culture and shouldn't be uh, uh, sort of, um, uh, you know, in any way criticized or whatever the case. I think we have to try and rise above that. And I think we have to 
we have to look at those uh, uh, those pillars of Catholic social teaching. You know, who's the person who's going to, for example, ensure that the dignity of every single person in this country is respected? That means dealing with the issues around poverty, around the economy, around, you know, uh, the social issues like uh, the treatment of women. I mean, who's in the best position to do that? Who's going to be someone who does work on a team in, in terms of subsidiarity, which is another principle in Catholic social teaching? You know, who's going to make sure that the option for the poor is what we're about and stamp out things like corruption that is, in many ways, stealing from the poor? And so I think that we need to try and break free of sometimes those real emotional things and approach this in a way which is balanced, in a way which is informed by our faith. I think we need to have discussions in our communities, not political discussions as to who we should vote for, but unpacking you know, the kind of qualities that we're looking for in good leadership and how our faith speaks to that. And I think as Catholics, that's a very good response to have and to challenge things uh, you know, that, that seem to err from you know, those very basic uh, principles which, which are important. So it's all about having the conversations, having the necessary, honest conversations, conversations that are not uh, going to be advanced in our self-interest, but conversations that have the common good in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's another key pillar of, of, uh, of Catholic social teaching. You know, I, let me give you an example. You know, I, I, was, I was at a, a mall uh, the other day, and I was surprised to see how many shops in that mall are closing down. And I asked somebody there, and they said, well, you know, things are becoming tight with the economy, and um, and so shops are closing down. Well, it's all very well. Somebody closes down their shop. But they also, that means that those people that worked in that shop do not have employment. I mean, I think we don't realize how critical things are economically in this country. We're in a technical recession. You know, the common good is what should be at the forefront of our, of our, of our minds. I mean, the fact that we are allowing people in uh, state enterprises to get away, like the breaking story today with, with ESCOM. And, you know, even though ESCOM's only got three months of money left to supply electricity, they're still paying massive bonuses to people like Brian Molefe. I mean, these types of things, although I might, I might not be powerful enough to do anything about Brian Molefe, I mean, these things are contrary to the common good. And if people on the ground start to, start to recognize in a balanced, rational way that, you know, the common good is being defeated by, you know, this kind of behavior. And we're having discussions about what it means. For the, we're not talking about personalities. We're talking about the common good. But this is very important, you know. And, and, and I think these kind of conversations will help us to make discerning and informed decisions about voting, about the kind of dialogue and the narrative we get into, which is all very important. And one of those things which I don't think we're good at doing as South Africans is holding these people accountable in whatever way possible, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, slowly there's this movement in civil society to speak out and to, and to question. But I still think that we sit back too much and we allow these people to get away with, with, with literally with murder. There's no sense that, you know, there's any accountability. It's, there's, there's com- sometimes there's complete impunity towards uh, you know, to, towards being accountable or following even the law of the land. Yeah, and one gets the impression that uh, on one hand, people have either lost hope in the system, have either hope lost hope in 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 the people who are supposed to be serving them. But anyhow, Father Russell, I think the listeners have had it to themselves, and we encourage them to make up their minds and to be responsible and active citizens as we struggle for the common good. 
I think so. And if I can just, if I can just have one more comment, you know, I have heard that people are losing hope, but I don't think we should lose hope because I think there are many positive signs. I think the fact that civil society and the churches, etc., are now once again talking out. I think we can be very proud of the judiciary of this country that, in many ways, has been the balancing act with a government that at times goes completely, you know, uh, to the opposite end of the pendulum. And, and I think, you know, there's reason to hope that we've got a very strong judiciary. We've got people uh, like the Chief Justice who are, you know, who clearly are thinking things through, reflecting, making good judgments. And I, and I don't believe he's overstepping the mark. I think his recent ruling on the question of uh, the secret ballot in Parliament was a very good way of, of him putting it back the ball in their court. So I wouldn't lose hope. I know it's very difficult when one hears one story of corruption and ill spending after another. But we also need to look for, for, for those hopeful signs. And I think that there are very many of them as well. So we, to our friends who are packing, uh, who are trying to get visas for Australia, we are saying to them, let's reconsider and South Africa is still the best place to be. Well, and I'm also saying, you know, you swap one place for another. I mean, you know, you said, you, you, you know, the grass, as the English proverb goes, <laughs> the grass is a screen on the other side and, and you swap one uh, set of problems for another. Now, I have worked with uh, two or three uh, Australian Jesuits quite closely, and the stories that they tell about issues around immigration, et cetera, et cetera, in Australia, uh, you know, uh, you know you, you, you've got problems everywhere. I mean, 10 years ago, everybody wants to go to the U.S. Yes. Now people are thinking twice, you know. <laughs> I mean, I think we live in a very volatile, vulnerable world, yeah. and running away from one circumstance into another uh, you know, well, okay, maybe people do that because they feel it's for their greater good and for the good of their family and their children. I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, altogether convinced that it's just about that, you know. And, you know, if we really believe in fraternity and community and all those values that we talk about in the gospel, uh, in some ways, getting out and just saying, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll leave it all to go to, to, hell in a, to, to hell in a handbasket and we'll go somewhere else. I mean, he's really not uh, living that spirit of fraternity and community very well. And it also speaks to the fact that some people obviously have the resources to do that. And other people then, you're just simply saying, are doomed to stay because that's how you are. Mm. And, and very often, it's the privileged classes, those who have benefited from the past, that are able to get out. <laughs> and those who, those who have struggled, yes. those who have struggled, continue to struggle. So, I, you know, I, you know uh, yeah, I think one has to be very... I think there's a whole discussion and debate around that too. Yeah, and I really like the way you say it because you're just swapping it. Yeah, running away from the problem doesn't solve it. You're actually running into another set of problems. But um, I, my, my friends, uh, my friends tell me. Um, I've got some friends who say to me, "Look, there is no future for, for for white people here in South Africa. Very soon they're going to be coming to grab our land. Very soon our kids are not getting jobs. It's very difficult for a white male to get." a job be they 19 or 20 not not above 50 so why should i be staying in the country uh, you know so there all there's this narrative to say look it's now like reverse uh discrimination reverse injustice and uh i don't know is that is is that happening you know given the history that we come from i think there i think that there will always be a sense that that know that uh, one has to now say okay the pendulum has swung in the other direction but i would refute that as well because you know i uh, one of the one of the things that about my job that that is a good thing is i get to see many different places in this country and i you know just last week i was in port elizabeth and the majority of people who were, who were at the event that i was at were people are you know so-called of color and many colored people and one young man 
said to me the drug problem and the alcohol problem and the crime problem in, in, in a township where he comes from is because he and so many of his friends, he was, he was 23 years old, they have no future because there's no employment. So, you know, you get, you get white people who are saying, okay, we can't get jobs and it's discrimination against us. But we also have a young uh, black people, uh, you know, many of whom are, are, are in the townships who can't get jobs either. You know, so, uh, you know, I think, I think we need to balance these perspectives and, 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 and we need to see things as they really are. I mean, we as a country face a major problem that our economy is shrinking and not growing, mostly because very bad political decisions have been made. And the, and the politics is impacting on the, on, on, on the livelihoods of ordinary South Africans that there's a shortage of jobs, there's disinvestment, you know, massive car manufacturers pulling out of the country, General Motors, you know, mines are laying off 8,000 people because, you know, the industry is not growing. I mean, you know, so, you know, I think at times that, that and we know through the, through the, through the very direct um, implementation of things like black economic empowerment that we're saying that if a black person, you know, will be given a job perhaps before a white person because of that, that sort of policy, that has happened in places. But just to simply say, oh, well, because I'm white, I haven't got a job, and therefore it's discrimination against me when there's millions of black South Africans who also do not have jobs. Uh, you know, I think we've got to be a little bit more balanced in these things and, and, and look at them more broadly, uh, you know, and, and, and understand the, the context that we're in and the context that we come from as well. My suspicion is that for many South Africans uh, and white South Africans, dare I venture to say, you know, the, the attitude of, okay, well, the past was 20 years ago and let's get on with it. They do, many people do not understand how a system that operated for however many, 40 years, yes. really, you know, not just, not just in terms of policy, but structurally, you know, put some people in and, and left lots of people out. You don't just simply dismantle that in a, in a couple of years. You it know, takes I, time. I, I, it really know, takes time. One of the things that strikes me driving to this country, for example, is every single little village that I drive through. I, I went to Swaziland uh, last week. You drive through, you know, these little places like Carolina and Ermelo and whatever, whatever. I mean, spatially, geographically, you still got, you know, the kind of uh, little town where where the suburbs are, and you drive a few kilometers out, and you've got these growing townships. Uh, you know, uh, this 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 kind of geographical structural stuff which came out of a system, you don't change that overnight. You can't, you can't, you can't. Father Russell, thank you very much. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much for your comments. Thank you very much for your analysis. And it's always a pleasure to have you here on Changing Gear and uh, having you contribute at Radio Veritas. All the best. Thank you. Have a good one. In case you've just tuned in, it is Radio Veritas 576AM. It's that station that gives you the good news and the good music for a change. That was Father Russell Pilot, who is the director of the Jesuit Institute in South Africa. And we were getting a view, a perspective, and a bit of an analysis of what has been happening on our political sphere. In case you've just tuned in, do not touch that dial. For I'm going to open the lines now, and it's going to be a pick up, pick me up Monday. I'm going to serenade you with music, and uh, I would like to get up close and personal.